Section 37 of Uther and Egrine. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Uther and Egrine by Warwick Deeping. Book 4, Chapter 4. A galley came up the Usk towards dawn. Towards dawn, when the woods were hung with mist, and a vast quiet brooded over the world. The river made a moist murmur through the reeds and sedge, seeming to chant of golden meads as it ran to wed the sea. All the eastern casements of Carlion glimmered gold as the dawn struck over wood and hill. The city's walls smiled out of the night. Her veins and towers were nosed as with fire. The galley drew to the great quay and pulled to the steps as the city awoke. A lad, with his russet mantle turned up over his girdle, passed up from the galley and the quay towards the southern gate of the city of Kirlian. His step was sanguine, his face deep with dreams. He seemed to personate youth entering that city of woeful magic that poets and painters name romance. Within the walls, the stir of life had been sounded in by the clarions of dawn. Seafaring men went down to the river and their ships. At the gate, arms rang. Tumbrils rumbled. Slim girls passed out into the orchards and the fields, under the trees all heavily grained, russet and green and gold. Women drew water at the wells, the merchant folk in the market square spread their stalls for the day. Fruit, flesh, fish, cloth and the fabrics of the east, armor and brazen jars, vases of strange device. The city pleased the lad as he passed through its stirring streets and took the vigor of it, the human symbolism, into his soul. His idealism shed a glamour over the place. How red and white were its maidens! How fair its stately houses! How splendid the clashing armor of its guards! In the market square, he asked a wizened apple seller concerning the palace and was pointed to the wooded hill where white walls rose above the green. Jehan solaced himself with a couple of ruddy apples from the stall. It was early yet for the palace, so the seller said, and Jehan sat down by a fountain where doves flew, and thought of his errand as he watched the folk go by. The sun was high before he came to the great gate leading to the gardens of the king. It chanced to be a great day at Kerlian, a day of public appeal, when Uther played patriarch to his people, and sat to hear the prayers of the wronged or the oppressed. Hence it followed that Jehan, pressing in at the gate, found himself one among many, one of a herd, a boy among his elders. In the antechamber of the palace, he was edged into a corner, elbowed and kept there by stouter clients who, as a mere matter of course, shouldered a boy to the wall. Argument availed nothing. Men were used to plausible tales for winning precedence, and each considered his especial matter the most pressing in the eyes of justice. The crowd overawed him. 
The doorkeepers thrust him back with their staves when he waxed importunate and attempted to parley. Often he bethought him of the ring, but being quick to suspect theft in such a mob, he kept the talisman tight in his tunic and trusted to time and the powers of patience. What with giving way to women whose sex commended them, and men whose strength and egotism seemed vested in their elbows, Jehen was fended far from the door all day. A squabbling, querulous crowd filled the place. Women with grievances, merchants who had been plundered on the road, peasants, priests, soldiers, beggars and adventurers, a Jew banker whom some Christian had taken by the beard, a farmer whose wife had taken a fancy to a gentleman's bed. It was a stew of envy, discontent, and misfortune. Jehan, whose none too sumptuous clothing did him little service, was shouldered casually into the background. Take second place to a brat of a boy? God forbid such an indignity. The vexed folk believed vigorously in the premiership of years. It was well towards evening when Jehan, who had gone fasting save for a rye cake, found himself the last to claim audience of the king. A fat pensioner, yawning phenomenally and dreaming of supper, eyed him with little favor from the top step of the stair. The day had been a crowded one, and the savory scent of roast flesh assailed the senses of the gentleman of the white wand. Jehan braved the occasion with heart-thumping, produced the ring, and held it as a charm under the doorkeeper's nose. There was an abrupt revulsion in the methods of this domestic demigod. Doors opened as by a magic word. Servants went to and fro. Bells sounded. A gray-bearded Pharisee appeared, scanned the lad over with an aracristic contempt, beckoned him to follow. The man with the white wand refrained for a moment from yawning over the paltriness of the world at large. Jehan, taken by galleries and curtain doors, and disenchanted somewhat with the palatial regime, found himself in a chapel casemented towards the west. Lamps burnt upon the altar, and a priest knelt upon the steps as in prayer. Sacramental vessels glimmered at the feet of the frescoed saints. A fragrant scent of musk and lavender lay heavy on the air. Jehan saw a man standing by a window, a man girded with a sword and garbed in no light and joyous fashion. The man's face possessed a kind of sorrowful grandeur, a solemn kindliness that struck home into the lad's heart. The eyes that met his were eyes such as women and children trust. Jehan guessed speedily enough that this was the king. There was a certain intuition big in him, prophesying of the pain that burdened his message. He faltered for a moment, knelt down, looked into the man's eyes, and took courage. There was a questioning calm in them that quieted him like the dew of prayer. He took the ring and gave it into the king's hand. From the Lady Igrine, was his plea. Now, Jehan, though he looked no higher than Uther's knees, saw him rock and sway like some great poplar in a storm.
A strange lull seemed to fall sudden upon the world. The lad listened to the beating of his own heart and wondered. He had soul enough to imagine the large utterance of those few words of his. A deep voice startled him. Your message. He knelt there and told his tale, simply and without clamor. It is the truth, sire, he said at the end thereof, so I may drink again of the Lord's blood and eat his bread at the holy table. My God, what truth! The man's voice swept the chapel like a wind, deep, sonorous, and terrible. The large face, the broad forehead, the deep-set eyes were turned to the casement and the west. The face was like the face of one who looks into hell. Jehan, on his knees, looked up and shivered. He had told the truth, and the storm awed him like a miracle. It seemed almost impious to be a witness of a wrath that was as the righteous passion of a god. Goliath tortures her? To her death, sire. The whole. Spare nothing. She is starved and scourged, and harlots mock her. God! They drag her soul in the mire. It was sunset, and all the sky burnt gold and crimson in the west. Every lozenge of glass in the casement shone red as with fire. Beyond Carleon, a mysterious gloom of trees rolled blackly against the chaos of the decline. The whole world seemed glamoured and steeped in a ghostly quiet. Usk, a band of shadowy gold, ran with vague glimmerings to the sea. The king spread his arms to the west, and under his black brows his eyes smouldered. Am I Uther of Britain? And a king? And again, in a deep, half-heard whisper, Egrine, Egrine, thou art true unto death. From the terrace below came sudden the sound of harping. It was Rivelin, the court minstrel, singing as the sun went down. Quenched be all the bitter pain, when the roses bloom again, I shall smile through glimmering tears. The face of the king was like the face of a man who sees a vision. All the glow of the hills seemed in his eyes. His hands shook as he stretched them to the west, the west that was a chasm of torrential gold. Egrine, he said, as in a dream. And again, Tintagel I will hurl into the sea. Jehan knelt and looked mutely at the king. The gloom of the roof seemed to cover him like a canopy, and the frescoes glimmered through the blue shadows. Uther wore a small crucifix about his neck. Jehan, full of a sense of tragedy, saw him tear the crucifix from its chain and cast it at his feet. The priest at the altar, haloed by the glowing of his lamps, looked at the king, white and wondering. It was an exultant voice that made the chalice quiver. Hitherto I have served a god, it said. Now I will serve my own soul. End of Book Four, Chapter Four. 
Recorded by Lori Nadeau Richardson, www.loririchardsonvo.com.